1: And we are live with the standing room Spartans podcast, your host, Kevin Parker, your co-host Scott Martin here to recap a glorious afternoon in East Lansing, Michigan, taking on the Penguins of Youngstown state, an emphatic win by Mel Tucker and the guys out there. Uh, We'll talk about some of the things that we liked. We'll talk about some of the questions that come out of this game. I, I think there certainly are some uh, obviously, Mel Tucker, the the coach, speak, but you know there are still things to work on. Uh, I think we can all agree on that. But before we get into all of that, we are presented by the Pigskin Podcast Network. We are proudly presented by the Pigskin Podcast Network. Um, next week, you'll see kind of the uh, one of the opportunities that comes out of that. Uh, we'll have the opportunity to to get some insight on this Miami team that we got coming up from. Uh, the guys at a Miami podcast name that escapes me right now, but obviously we'll give him credit once that time comes. Um, but yeah, uh follow along on the website standingroomspartans.com. We'll have some articles up there, we'll have some picks up there. Follow along on Twitter, it's at Standing Room MSU, and you can follow Scott at Spartan Martin 18. Both of those links are in the episode notes. You can just click on that, uh, click on that, give us a follow. And with all that out of the way, Scott, it's a Sunday afternoon here, and we are 2 0. How's it feel?
0: Well, they're not selling alcohol in Spartan Stadium yet, but. There is a run on the Kool-Aid stand in Spartan Stadium right now. Uh, It feels great. The team looks great. Uh, There's some reasons to pump the brakes. There's some reasons to hit the gas uh, on the excitement here. We'll obviously get into all those. But, you know, first and foremost, it just feels great to watch a football team that makes us feel good watching it. Uh, It's fun to watch this team. The offense is a ton of fun. Uh, The defense makes plays. The coaching staff, I obviously – I, most folks, if not all Spartan folks these days, uh, I love them so far and, you know, fans back in Spartan stadium, it just feels good to have, you know, a good fun football team again, who knows what the season has in store for us, but just, I just love, you know, there's no COVID cut. Ca- well, not, no, there's, there's very few COVID caveats these days. It it feels like the college football we know and love the national slate had some chaos this week and some really kind of odd, hilarious little storylines that came out of the week. It just, it just feels good to be back. And, uh, yeah, the Spartans keep rolling. So, um, no complaints.
1: Yeah. We'll touch on some of the national games. There was a bunch, uh, it's, it's, it was one of those weeks, you know, when you go in before the week, we kind of talked about it on the picks podcast where you're like, Eh, not a lot of great matchups this week. Kind of just not a whole lot of excitement. And those are the weeks that sneak up on you. You learn as a college football fan that the one that you don't expect anything from is, is the one where you get the most chaos. Um, I don't know about the most chaos this week, but there was certainly some of that. Like you said, I, I think having a fun to watch Michigan state team is awesome. Like if, if we go back, let's say 2018, uh, is it is a team that that comes to mind that team may very well be better than this team just because of how dominant that defense was I think that gets lost in the shuffle a little bit that was like a top five national defense but they were not fun to watch by any measure because we couldn't put anybody away obviously we struggled against the good teams because we couldn't put points up on the board and this team coming out, I think they're like top five right now in, in yards per game in the country. And it's just, it feels insane to say that, uh, we'll get into Michigan state. We, we want to kind of just jump into some of the national stuff, um, to get it out of the way before we talk about Michigan state. But, uh, yeah, it's, it is nice having a fun team to watch. Now I was obviously watching the Michigan state game on the big screen I had the Ohio state Oregon game on the tablet, just kind of tuning in, checking in while, while Michigan state was on commercial or, you know, while we were waiting between plays or something like that, Ohio state God, ran out of their own building, man, that as somebody who, who picked Ohio state to win the national title. Uh, I don't know if that's on the table anymore. I still, I, I will say, I don't, Think that they're gonna to have too much trouble in the Big Ten. I, I do still think this is their conference to lose. I don't want to overreact too much. But the way that Oregon could just run the ball down their throat, that has to be worrisome if you're a buckeye.
0: Yeah, Oregon just uh flung the doors open on the front of the uh the Big Ten. Obviously, it's not a conference game, it doesn't have implications in our you know season standings, but um A lot of holes were exposed, and and Ryan Day's going to be scrambling to plug them before conference play really gets rolling here. Um, And I think there's a lot of teams in the Big Ten East that are going to be chomping at the bit now, seeing kind of some of the – a chink in the armor uh, down in Columbus. So, especially this Big Ten East that has a lot of strength this year. It looks like it's early. Some of these teams aren't going to be as good as they look right now, but Rutgers looks great. Maryland looks great. Michigan State, I think, is surprising a lot of folks. Um, Michigan still looks good. They've got some question marks that haven't been answered, but um, they look good. The whole half of the conference, you know, and and then there's Penn State, who's sitting there. I'm sure thinking, all right, this is our year to finally, you know, grab that pedestal. So um, it's going to be a fun year to watch in Oregon doing a lot to put some tape out there for us and, and show us kind of what Ohio state isn't very good at right now. And you don't get that very early in in most seasons with Ohio state. So uh, like I said, they're going to be plugging some holes, but that was awesome. And, and you and I, in our picks last week, we both were really high on (laughs) Ohio state. I think I said, I thought they'd win by like 30. Um, It was one of those kind of afterthought picks where I was like, yeah, you know, make that one move on. And of course, like you said, those are the ones that sneak up on you. And Oregon, they look good. They may be one of those rare Pac-12 playoff teams. Um, we'll see how the how the season unfolds. So, like you said, don't wanna overreact too much, but um yeah, that I mean that just adds a, a whole other dimension to this season as it wears along.
1: Yeah, and now that we say that, Ryan Day will make his adjustments, their uh, their quarterback will figure it out and they'll just light up everybody. I know how this goes. Uh, elsewhere. I don't know. Michigan, Washington. I I don't know if Michigan's good or Washington's just really bad. Uh, that was one that was kind of hard to watch at times. Iowa, Iowa state, just an absolute rock fight as predicted. Uh, Iowa come out on top in that one winning 27, 17. That was an easy pick. Uh, that was one again, where you mentioned it, the ones that seem too easy are usually the ones that get you, but I did not understand how Iowa was the underdog there. That made no sense. They go out and win by double digits. Yeah. Uh, App state, Florida will hit on. I I think that was an interesting game there where app state just hung right in there till the end. Miami really struggled to put them away. Uh, Arkansas blasted Texas and they're kind of welcome to the sec game. Uh, lots of stuff going on, Scott. I don't know if you have any other comments uh, on the national slate before we get into uh, our Spartans against the Penguins.
0: No, I want to touch on Michigan real quick. I was I was watching that game and it was a brutal watch. I mean, it was like pulling teeth, but uh, I wanted to see what Michigan would do against a you know, power five opponent who should have been kind of strong. And Washington's defense held up for a majority of that game. Uh, you mentioned the 2018 MSU team. I mean, Washington's got a strong defense, but they were on the field the entire game and Michigan's run offense looked really strong. And it's no surprise when Harbaugh saw that he could run at will. He just said, all right, we're going to run it a hundred times. If we have to, um, and I can't blame him. It was working. And you know, they got two like good that, backs, man
1: with Haskins yeah. and Corum, both look good.
0: Yeah. And uh, I can't blame him for that. They knew they had the game in hand. They could milk the clock. Didn't have to take risks. It's a totally Harbaugh ball. I was watching it and I was like, man, this feels like watching an old D'Antonio like post-2015 team where you're just like, you know, putting your head in your lap, like, please do something different. But it was working. They got the win. I was surprised though, because for a significant portion of that second half, it felt like Michigan had the game in hand. And when they had Ronnie Bell go down last week, you know, they don't really know where their receivers. Where their receiving threats are coming from now. They gotta kind of figure out where their main threats are. And I was surprised to see they didn't use the opportunity to get Cade, you know, some comfort, some familiarity with his receiving core and just some confidence. And and same thing for the receivers, just to find what works for them, what their top passing plays are in a situation like that. Obviously, you don't want to open up the whole playbook, but I mean, at a certain point in this season, somebody's going to take that run game away. They're going to put eight guys in the box and make Cade throw the ball. And you don't want to be figuring out, all right, what's he comfortable with? What throws can he make in game? You don't want to be figuring all that out when you absolutely need it to work. Um, so that's going to be interesting. At a certain point, Michigan's going to have to throw the ball. They're going to be under pressure. And I think one of the big questions is can Cade McNamara be a game winner rather than a game manager? And I was surprised they didn't try to answer that a little bit. Um, but, yeah, the Iowa looked great. Iowa's defense looks great. Their offense, if they're forced to win a game, they might struggle. Uh, they had three takeaways, which were the difference in this one. They, they got outgained by at least 100 yards against Iowa State. So keep an eye on that. If they struggle to take the ball away, uh, they could get in some hot water um, one of these weeks. But they do look strong, and their defense is going to be really tough to, uh, to score on. Outside of that, the, the slate was, was kind of chalky um other than the games you mentioned and we'll get into Appalachian State Miami a little bit as well as the week wears on I will just say Miami looks beatable uh they look a lot more beatable than we thought they were going into the year and that opens up quite a door for the start of our season so we'll save a lot of that for the uh the preview later this week um but yeah could be an interesting start to this year for for our Spartans.
1: Yeah. The other one was just a regional thing. I I figure we'll mention it. There's a lot of Notre Dame haters. I'm sure in the state of Michigan, they struggled to put away the, uh, the Toledo squad there. So that was, that was an interesting one only available on Peacock that game was. So I, you start to see these streaming services, man, the, the way we consume sports is absolutely changing. Uh, and, and a Notre Dame home game only available on Peacock is, it's interesting. Uh, I'll certainly say that. Um, so let's, let's get into Michigan state here. I want to start on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, there's a lot of ways you can go here. Uh, but the passing game is where we'll start. I, I think because Peyton Thorne had, by all statistical measures an, an incredible game, I saw it was the highest QBR of a Michigan state quarterback since 2000, uh, just really put together a a nice game. The deep ball looked a little bit better, had a couple nice throws. He missed one. uh, It was to Naylor, I think in the second quarter. Uh, But in general, you know, was hitting those deep balls. Uh, There was one play, there was the touchdown throw to Naylor. Uh, The cornerback came on a blitz and he basically recognized right off the snap. All right. The corner's coming and the safety was way too far inside. So I'm just going to throw this thing to the pylon. That's an easy play for Naylor. There's no way the safety is going to get there in time. So you're, you're just starting to see him mature a little bit. Two things that I want to mention here on Peyton Thorne. One, he's still throwing fastballs to guys five yards away. There was the one this week was to Malik Carr, who made a hell of a grab. Uh, and so that was kind of our first Malik Carr sighting. Great catch adjusting to that ball but he's five yards away. I mean, you don't, you don't have to throw the fastball in there. You, you can just give that a little, a little more touch. Um, I think the, the broadcaster even brought it up this week, but yeah, he's he's got to keep an eye on that. He's got to work on that. And then the other thing I didn't like Scott, I don't know if you noticed this, they they brought this up on the broadcast as well. We were up 28 to seven and we were in the red zone and Thorne just ran in, dropped his shoulder on the linebacker. There were three guys in there coming to make that tackle a little bit of, uh, brawn over brains on that one. Uh, I would have liked to see him just slide. We already saw we, or we hadn't already seen this, but later in the game, we saw Anthony Rousseau go, go down. He was injured. He, he didn't come back in the game. Um, I, I, yeah, be smart out there. We, I just mentioned how he was a bit more mature in making some of these throws. Let's be a little bit more mature in some of the decisions you're making and realize the situation you're in already up 28, seven.
0: Yeah. I mean, he worked an entire year to win this job and (laughs) plays like that kind of put it at risk. It was, I mean, it wasn't the hardest hit ever, but certainly I think he, he ended up making contact with two or three defenders. And in the first hit, was, it was a strong hit from the side. Um, And you mentioned what happened to Rousseau later in the game. Um, If Rousseau is out for an extended period of time, we get real thin at quarterback right away. I mean, you got Noah Kim sitting behind him. So yeah, he's gotta be smart, but uh, I mean, in general, Peyton Thorne, I thought had a phenomenal game. I think it's time to stop calling him a game manager and start looking at him as somebody who can win you games as a quarterback. He is going through his reads with comfort. He's feeling blitzes as much as he's seeing them. He's not bailing on the pocket when he's got a nice pocket. Even if pressure is starting to come in, he's throwing it with defenders in his face with accuracy um, and he's making all the throws. You mentioned the, the improvement in the deep ball. Even the one with Naylor, it was a little bit out ahead of him, but Naylor got two hands on it. I mean, he dove, but he got two hands on it. And he gave him a chance, and it was in a place that the defender didn't have a chance to make a play on the ball. So, I mean, call it a miss if you want to, but it was still a good miss and gave Naylor an opportunity. Um, and, yeah, I mean, he finished 15 to 21. He started one of four in this game. So you take it, that one, obviously, it was a big touchdown, but you take those four out, and he still went – Uh, 14 to 17 through the rest of the game with three touchdowns, plus a touchdown on the ground. Um, Just an awesome game. He was my player of the game. Um, I mean, it's hard not to be when you score five touchdowns, Um, but uh, yeah, uh, looked, looked really, really good. Um, Next week he'll have a stronger test. I mean, it's, I try to take this may be negative, but I try to take more, um, pump the brakes moments from a game like this right what catches your eye in a bad way because if you can't do it against Youngstown State you're going to struggle to do it against a lot of other teams you know things that are going well it feels good it's good to see you want them to go well but it's essentially playing against the uh the scout team uh in practice and I mean that's I guess it may be a slight to Youngstown State not intentionally but
1: Jaden Reed had the quote after the game that he basically said like yeah practices feel harder than the games uh yeah. Through two weeks, you play a Northwestern team who I, I probably isn't that good. They, they kind of struggled putting away Indiana state. I, I mean, they, the, the final score was not close, but they didn't blow them out the same way we blew out Youngstown state certainly. And then you play Youngstown state. So it, with the, the comment that, yeah, the practices are harder than the games. Well, they, they might be at this point. I think that's going to change very soon here, but, um, I I think there's, there's some reality to that. I mean, you're playing an FCS football team. You're none of their guys got scholarships to play at Michigan state. All of the guys on Michigan state got. So just from a pure talent level. Yeah. The guys you're playing against in practice probably are better than the guys you faced uh, on Saturday afternoon.
0: Yeah. So it's a little spooky, right? You hear something like that from Reed and you're like, are they priming themselves for a a gut check game where they just get, you know, beat up because they kind of lose their physicality, but we'll see. I mean, that's just a matter of coaching, keeping their heads on straight, but outside of the quarterback, the running game continued to look phenomenal. Again, it's Youngstown state, but two games in a row, averaging at least seven yards per carry. And this game, we didn't have, you know, the 75 yard touchdown to boost those numbers. It was truly, they were getting five, 10, 15 yards, almost every carry, regardless of who was in the game, carrying the ball. You love to see that. I, I mentioned on Twitter, this is the first time since 2010 week one and two that we've had two straight games averaging at least seven yards per carry. Um, and in the span from 2011 to 2020 seasons, we had one game total in that entire stretch that we averaged at least seven yards per carry. That was 2019 against Western, so um, I mean, level of competition, you can say what you want, but we've played a lot of bad teams in the last 10 years, and we have never in that span had two straight games where we've run that effectively, so I actually, I, I find it really ironic that in D'Antonio's later years, it felt like he was constantly trying to tinker to figure out how to run the ball more effectively. He's like, okay, put more big bodies in there, get more blockers in there. The defenses would stack the box. It wouldn't work as soon as, and this is a totally different scheme, but as soon as we spread it out, we put three, four wide receivers on the field. um, All of a sudden our yards per carry just explodes. Um, And I know a lot of Fans were kind of clamoring for that in the later years with Antonio, and we're starting to see that now. Spread the field out. Your runners have more room uh, to, to make a play. And the,
1: the old adage is always you run to set up the pass. Why can't you pass to set up the run? And that's something that just as a as the sport has offensive coordinators around the country have been challenging over the last few years and something that I think Jay Johnson, again, to his credit, has kind of taken, uh, taken to his philosophy, I guess he, I think he's done a really good job through two weeks of dialing up big plays of kind of knowing when to, to, to feed the running backs, when to feed, he doesn't get away from what's working, right. He doesn't get impatient. I, I think he's done a really good job through two weeks this year. Again, you know, with the, the caveat of who we're playing, but. Just from a a play calling philosophy, there were, there were two things that I, I will have to bring up just because it's a gigantic football pet peeve of mine, but in general, he's been really good. I I had to bring this up. There were two times it was third and long where we ran routes. It was like third and 10 and we ran like a six yard out. And then there was a third and 15 or whatever. And we ran like a 10 yard play. And it's like, that just aggravates me. It's a huge football pet peeve of mine. Like if you're going to, if you're going to throw it and go for a first down, then go for the damn first down. But in general, no, I, I give a lot of credit to Jay Johnson for, for dialing up these plays. And like you said, the running backs look good. Everybody got a little bit of a chance except for Harold Joyner who was dressed. So that's good news as far as him. Uh, you know, we talked about the scary hit he took last week. He was dressed, didn't really see him. He, I think he was on the field, didn't get any carries, Uh, Simmons, eight yards to carry first hundred yard game for Jordan Simmons. He had, uh, over 120 yards, Kenneth Walker, eight yards to carry, uh, Eli Collins, 10 yards to carry before going out with what looked like an ankle injury. Uh, they were taping up his ankle on the sideline when he came off. So not sure exactly what that is. I'm sure we'll get some clarity or not, uh, knowing Mel Tucker, and then Donovan Eaglin getting in there late in the game, looking like he's got two tree trunks attached to his hips. I mean, that dude's got some thighs, man. He looked, he looked nice. So, yeah, the whole stable kind of getting an opportunity here today in and, and one of these games, the FCS games, and all looked capable.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was really impressed, obviously, by the running game. Jordan Simmons, he has that patent, like one cut, and then absolutely just full speed into a mm-hmm. hole. And he'll, at most, when he's up to speed, he'll do like a little half cut and kind of shed a guy off his thigh, whereas Kenneth Walker has like the total jitter to make a guy miss. But Simmons just explodes into holes, and he's not afraid to, to put the hurt on a guy if he doesn't see where anywhere else to go. And it's great. I mean, you mentioned Michigan's duo uh, with Corum as kind of that quick jitter guy with top end speed. And then they've got uh, Haskins with the, uh, you know, kind of the downhill ability to go through a guy, push a guy back. And if we're starting to see that a little bit with us as well. Um, Eli Collins kind of probably more that Jordan Simmons role as well. I was really bummed to see Collins get hurt. He actually, he came in for that drive. It was four plays started on R 48 and he got all 52 yards of the drive. He touched the ball every play, three straight runs and then caught the touchdown pass, uh, did most of the work on the touchdown pass too. So just great to see, you know, the old Eli Collins was back for a drive and then he gets hurt. He did end up leaving in a boot. So I mean, fingers crossed it was precautionary. He just maybe was just a sprain they were, you know, a little worried about. But I I really hope he's not out for for a long time because after that frustrating season he had last year, I know obviously we were really excited to see him. But like you said, all in all, running backs did a great job. Offensive line did exactly what they needed to. They just kept opening up, gaping holes for these guys, uh, getting them down to the second, even the third level without being touched. And uh, it's just it's just so refreshing to see. Obviously, we want to see it against stronger competition, but it just it feels good. And you mentioned Jay Johnson, when when you've got a running game that's working, you can call, you know, inside power runs. And if they're working, you look like a genius when those are the same plays that when you don't have the talent or the execution and they're not working they make an offensive coordinator look terrible we saw it with Washington yesterday they'd run it up the middle they'd get zero yards and everybody's calling for the offensive coordinator's head um I mean credit to Chris Kapilovich he's probably making Jay Johnson look great there
1: yeah yeah it's it was it was good to see again you know you you did what you're supposed to do and that was really encouraging um other than that, I mean, uh, the, the playmakers, uh, obviously Jordan Reed has to be, has to get the shout out at one point, two catches for 160 yards and two touchdowns Ended with a couple more yards, put up another 20 yards uh, or a couple more catches, put up another 20 yards on that total, but, uh, looked great. You know, the chemistry is obviously there with Thorne. We know that they were former teammates, Mel Tucker. They asked him about it after the game. You know, how does, how does the, uh, you know, chemistry between these two, playing, going back for years. And he just said like, yeah, all I see is execution. Um, We know kind of by now what to expect from a Mel Tucker press conference. And it's not a whole lot of information. Um, We got to see a lot of guys in there, not a whole lot of big plays made. I mean, we saw Keon Coleman, we saw Ian Stewart, we saw Montori Foster, we saw Malik Carr, we saw Terry Lockett, all of these guys at least got a chance to to touch the ball. Uh, Christian Fitzpatrick was targeted on a deep ball by Rousseau, So at least seeing all these guys on the field was nice. Not a whole lot to really show for it for most of them, but, uh, get the opportunity to get there on the field. Uh, Connor Hayward had a nice game blocking, uh, the offensive line is the last thing I want to at least hit on before the, the, we move over to the defensive side of the ball. Cause this guy's got to stay healthy, man. And it's, it's just, it's a same thing we've been talking about for five, six years. It feels like a uh, horse came out and then back in Luke Campbell was subbing in for him. Nick Samak went down. It, it was just a lot of rotation on the offensive line. And part of it was due to just, Hey, we're up big and let's get some of these guys a chance to play. And some of it was due to somebody being banged up or somebody, you know, laying on the field for five minutes after the play. And, that's just something you hate to see as we come out of last week saying, wow, this offensive line looks better. And then we come out of this week saying, wow, these guys are opening up holes. These guys have got to stay on the field and you know, it's not really, it's, it's football and guys are going to get hurt, especially on the offensive line. It's not anything like criticizing these guys. It's just the, the fact of the matter is that you got to stay on the field and and it's frustrating as fans. I'm sure it's even more frustrating for the players, don't get me wrong, but, yeah, we we got to see these guys stay together because if they do, this could be a top half of the Big Ten unit, which could lead a top half of the Big Ten rushing attack if we can just get on, get out there and stay on the field, keep this chemistry going, and keep opening up these holes.
0: Yeah, you mentioned horse leaving the game for a little bit. Um, I was interested to see Luke Campbell came in to replace him. And Arcuri state on the right side, tells you a little bit about kind of how they want to fill. And you didn't see – I think we, I had thought the, the second line of tackles was Van Opstahl and uh, Spencer Brown, which we saw later in the game, but it was interesting to see Luke Campbell come in. He's kind of like a Swiss army, li- Swiss army knife for that offensive line where you can play him in four out of five spots. Not sure he's played center, but you can play him at either guard, either tackle. Um, he's got the experience and he's played all of those positions in his time at MSU. Um, So really nice to have that in the back pocket. I think he's a guy that Chris Kapilovic trusts a lot, just given his experience and time around the program. Um, But Horst did come back in and just to play both sides of that coin. um, He had a couple holding calls uh, when when he came back and then actually same drive. They were both in the same drive and it derailed the whole drive. We ended up punting. We were moving the ball well. Um, And that and that stalled it. So keep an eye on that. Hopefully that's not a habit. Hopefully that's not a recurring thing. It just uh, got caught a couple times or maybe the the back judge was being a little picky. But um, yeah, all in all, the offensive line looked great. Like you said, hopefully they stay healthy. Game like this does a lot to get a lot of guys comfortable getting them snaps. I mean, pretty much the entire second half, most of the starters were out. I did see our Curie getting a little bit more work at right tackle, which might just be because it's kind of a new position for him. But, um, but another strong showing for them. And, and like you said, hopefully they'll continue to stay healthy and uh, keep us rolling. Yeah. And
1: the, the defensive side of the ball, I want to start with the defensive line where Drew Beasley was out uh, before the game. We got word that Drew Beasley, Tank Brown, and I'm missing one. Drew Jordan. Drew Jordan were all out. So we knew the defensive end kind of depth was going to get tested a little bit. And man, Jacob Panischuk and Jeff Petrovsky, the, the Polish pals, I don't know. Their, their alliteration doesn't really work there. Um, Jacob Panischuk, you know, he lost his brother, Mike. He's got a new Polish brother out there and Jeff and those two looked awesome. Those, I, I think those were the two best performances of the day in general for Michigan state. Jacob Panischuk was the best player on the field, I think uh, for long stretches of that game. He was making great plays in the run game. He was getting after the quarterback. Uh, Petrovsky was all over the field. He was just, he really impressed me in the sense that like, it it wasn't just the typical like effort kind of plays. Um, you know, both of these guys had multiple tackles for loss. Petrovsky had the sack. Uh, they just looked, like they were beating one-on-ones, they were beating double teams at times. Both of these guys looked awesome. Uh, Other ways on the defensive line, Michael Fletcher played, he made a couple flash plays, but the thing I wrote down is we're still waiting for that next step from him. Uh, Especially in a game like this, he should come out and dominate. He didn't. And Derek Harmon got in there, that freshman uh, defensive tackle from Detroit that's just a large man. That is, that is a large human being. He got a decent amount of run here. I saw him in there for a couple of drives. So I I would say he was in double digit snaps uh, for sure, but that is a large man wearing a number in the forties and it just looks fantastic.
0: Yeah, it was a great performance by the defensive line. Uh, Again, the defensive tackle rotation has been really deep. Uh, I think we saw today Simeon Barrow or today, uh, yesterday, Simeon Barrow and Jacob Slade got the start this week. I think last week it was Barrow and Hunt. So uh, interesting there. But yeah, Jeff Petrovsky, he's one of those guys now that's kind of coming out of the woodwork. Uh, I saw somebody mention it on Twitter. I wish I could give him credit, but I don't remember who it was. They mentioned that, you know, when, when Mel Tucker came in, he brought his kind of physical requirements or very strong guidelines for each position. I want you to be this tall, this big, this fast this strong um and jeff petrovsky i don't think really measured up at least from a you know just height and weight perspective yeah he probably didn't
1: meet a single one of those requirements
0: (laughs) (laughs) he's not a prototype mel tucker defensive end right so um a lot of guys that didn't meet those they they went and looked for greener pastures and other programs but petrovsky stayed home and I'm sure worked his ass off and he's climbed the depth chart. Um, who knows if he would have started if the other guys were healthy, but nonetheless, he got the start this week and looked phenomenal. He had a sack early in the game. He had another QB hurry, a couple more uh, tackles for loss, just all over the field, getting free in the backfield. Um, and he's just one of those guys, you know, kind of like a D'Antonio and he was recruited by D'Antonio. One of those undersized chip on his shoulder guys who, you know, you see him coming off the bus and maybe you don't make note of him, but he gets on the field and he gets scrappy and just uh, outplays his, you know, his expectations. And we'll see when the, when the other guys come back, I do think Drew Beasley's our best um, playmaker at defensive end. So I think he'll get on the field, but I think Petrovsky is going to continue to get more and more PT as this season wears on.
1: Yeah, there's there's two more things I want to for sure bring up here on the defense, but I, I'll let you take this wherever you want to on the defensive side, whether it's DBs, linebackers, corners. I, I don't know. Where do you want to go with this?
0: So the linebackers didn't have a particularly flashy game for me one way or another. I thought they played well. A um, couple missed reads. Crouch got beat uh on a um, – pass play that he, he bit on the play action ended up being a pretty big gain. Uh, Harvey came in. I don't think he played particularly well. He played a full drive, Um, but I do want to talk more about the defensive backs Uh, first and foremost on a positive note, Xavier Henderson's playing all big 10 football right now. He had that incredible interception um, kind of a la uh, Curtis Drummond, right? Kind of mirror image of that one back in the day against Western, but Um, and he had a uh, sack, I think in the first drive, the first second sack of the season. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Another tackle for loss. He had eight total tackles. I mean, he is all over the field. He is the guy we hoped he would be. He's kind of taken another step and this one feels a little bit bigger than the steps he's taken the last couple of years. I think he's, he's playing for a draft to be drafted. I think if this continues, he's going to be, if this continues, he should be an all big 10 player. Um, And just being the leader, we hoped he would. Uh, Gross had a good game, didn't make any flash plays, but didn't really get beat, did his job. But the corners, um, again, really interesting rotation. Chester Kimbrough got the start over Ronald Williams. We were wondering if we were going to see something like that. Gervin was in his usual spot, but didn't play as much as he did last week. Um, And behind those guys, I was interested to see Chuck Brantley got a lot of playing time as a true freshman, undersized, this is certainly the game you'd, you'd circle if you wanted to get him a lot of snaps. Uh, Hugh mentioned when we were texting, he looked a little out of control. Oh, uh, big he time! Was all I'd, over the place. So, so
1: I want to like clarify, because I put that out on Twitter too, I want to clarify it because I think when people hear me say that he was out of control, they're going to think back on the targeting play that was reviewed. It, it turned out that it wasn't targeting, which I agree was the right call. I'm not even necessarily talking about out of control as in like he's head hunting or something like that. It's just that he had no control. Like he there was a play, uh I think it was on Youngstown State's touchdown drive or in the first half. And he went in the the running back bounced it outside and he was the corner that was on that side of the field. And he just came in out of control, dove missed and it was just it, remember your technique, you know, go out there, break down, keep him inside. You know, don't, don't let him get outside of you. And he just, he let the running back break contain. He missed the tackle. Angelo gross came in, made a nice play and cleaned it up before he got to the sticks. But yeah, he was just, just a little bit out of control throughout most of the game. Uh, He missed a couple tackles. He, the, the one thing I will say about that though, is that he played really physical And for a freshman to come in and, and kind of make a statement in that sense, I would rather, and I'm sure most coaches will tell you the same thing. I would rather have a player that's going out there at a 10 and I have to reel him back to a six, than have a guy who's going out there at a two and try to pump him up to a six. Those are just two totally. I would rather have the guy who goes out there wanting to fly around and make plays that you have to kind of put the governor on him and say like, okay, let's, let's settle down a little bit here. Then the guy who's just not that physical, who doesn't really want that smoke Chuck Brantley wants to smoke. He's just, we gotta, we, we gotta teach him the right timing on, on getting into that. So yeah, he's, he's got plenty of time to learn all of that, but that was the thing that I took away from his game.
0: Yeah, I was. We didn't talk about him before this, but I wrote down the exact same thing. I said, I'd rather have him go out 120% and have to pull him back to 100 than have him come out at 80% and, uh, you know, just look behind on every play. And he, I mean, he's playing 20 pounds above his weight right now in the way that he's playing physically. He looks, he's not there yet. He's not a big 10 corner yet. He's he's probably not going to get a whole lot of time on the field once we get into big 10 play against different competition, but he's going to be a name we're going to be talking about for a few years here. He, you can tell he just wants it and he's got enough of the physical attributes to to develop into a guy who can, who can do that. I mean, everything you just mentioned is just a maturity thing. We saw the same thing with Angelo Gross last year, where he's just trying a little bit too hard to make a big play. You know, he came around. I remember that run. He came around the edge. He probably he got tackled for loss. You know, his eyes bugged out. And he's like, this is my moment. You know, just tries to shoot in there and make a play. And in reality, you really just want to stand your ground, do your job, as Mel Tucker says. And and he'll learn that. I'm sure they'll they're probably going through it on film right now as we speak. Um, But, yeah, really excited to see him get out there and start making some plays. And I think he's going to be a phenomenal Uh, addition to the secondary as his career wears on. Um, Chester Kimbrough, though, want to just spend a little bit of time on him because he had a good game. Um, I do think this scheme is making it a little bit hard for these guys to cover like a five yard hitch route, something that Ronald Jones or comebacks, something Ronald Jones got beat on a couple times last week because they're playing that cover three and they have to respect their zone over the top. They're playing soft a little bit, and it's leading to these kind of ticky-tack completions on the outside, so you can live with that as long as they're coming up and making the tackle, which um, Kimbrough did yesterday. He had five total tackles, was pretty high up on the team list, um, and he looked really good shooting in uh, in blitzes, too. He had a QB hurry that led to a terrible pass attempt at incompletion uh, that stalled a drive for Youngstown State, so I thought personally, this is definitely a different competition level, but I thought he looked a lot better than Ronald Jones did last week around Williams, excuse me. Um, but Ronald Williams got in, looked good as well. So we'll see how that rotation kind of uh, fleshes out as we get into Miami next week. Yeah.
1: The, I I wrote down there were the, the thing that worried me the most about the DBs is there were still a couple of times where a receiver broke free behind them. Uh, there was one, I know that the quarterback missed, but, it's, that's still something that worries me a little bit, especially after what we saw against Northwestern, a passing attack that really shouldn't be beating you deep. That got us a couple of times, Uh Youngstown state had receivers breaking deep downfield and open a couple of times. They just didn't have the quarterback who could make the play. So it does worry me a little bit moving forward here, but all in all, like you said, that I think everybody was, you know, looked a bit improved. Chester Kimbrough looked relatively comfortable and, like you said, that we talked about it before the season, where it's it's just part of the scheme. When you're playing cover three, you're gonna give up a lot of that stuff, stuff underneath, and that's just part of the deal. Like you, you gotta ha- you gotta live with that. But as as a college coordinator, I think it's it's the best scheme because you're basically forcing a 20 year old quarterback to nickel and dime you all the way down the field. And some of them can, and if they're going to beat you that way, death by a million paper cuts, then you know what? So be it. Uh, But most college quarterbacks, they don't have that kind of patience. Number one, Uh, they don't have that kind of consistency. Number two. So I, I think in general, I do love the scheme that we're playing, but like you said, it, it, it does make it difficult at times and it does look difficult at times because you're just like, oh man, we just keep giving up this stuff underneath. Where are these corners? Making it? it's we're gonna give it up. And it's just, it's schemed in and it's okay. So if you if you see some of that underneath stuff, you gotta live with it hoping that you're gonna make big plays and you're gonna allow or or try to avoid the, the big plays by the offense. Something that again is is the problem right now is okay you're gonna do this the the idea is that that they're not going to get the big plays. That you're going to give up the little stuff. Well, we're potentially still giving up a couple of big plays, so that's what we're going to have to work on. Um, other than that, I mean, I I liked how Scotty Hazelton stayed pretty aggressive early in the third quarter. He was still bringing a couple of different blitz packages, trying stuff out, keeping his guys, you know, dialed in, keeping his guys ready for moving into next week, whether that was just trying some stuff out like, Hey, this blitz package, we practiced a little bit, but I'm not sure how effective it's going to be. Let's, let's dial this up here in the third quarter when we already know this is wrapped up, uh, whatever the case may be. I like that he stayed aggressive, uh, in his defensive play calling, um, special teams we'll just moving there real quick before we, we wrap. This is number one, uh, the blocked punt. You don't like to see that, especially for a special teams unit that really struggled last year. Uh, missed field goal by Coglin; It was a 50-yarder. Just we've, we've kind of proven that out over, what, four years with Coughlin now. It's just not his game. He's money from inside of 50, but once you get past 45, 50 yards, it's you can't really rely on it, and that's unfortunate, but it is what it is. Bryce Berenger, two punts, both inside the 20, Uh, Average of 45 yards did a really good job. He's, he's looked pretty good for, you remember two years ago, how just in shambles the punting position was, it's nice to see a punter just go out there and do his job. And then Jaden Reed in the return game, uh, he's, he's making a couple splash plays. Does it worry me having your number one, maybe number two, depending on how you view him and Kenneth Walker playmaker on special teams, just with the added risk of injury a little bit, but I would rather have somebody in there that can flip field position, that can make a play. So I, I really like to see Jaden Reed back there. He had a couple nice returns. He had a 30-yard punt return, and uh, yeah, I, I really think that was a good decision by the coaching staff to put him back there and try to spark some, you know, spark something on special teams.
0: Yeah, I wrote down just after watching him last week or this past game yesterday that um, I think I would be surprised as as long as he stays healthy, knock on wood, I would be surprised if he doesn't return at least one for a touchdown. He just, he sees it in the return game. You can tell he's got a plan when he's got the ball in his hands and he's really hard to bring down. He's really hard to get a hand on. Um, It does scare me, not just Reed, but just having a lot of starters playing special teams. I mean, you look at our kickoff unit, you've got Reed Naylor, Connor Hayward, a couple other starting uh, skill players. And it's, it's just scary to see them getting out there and having dudes running full speed at them. Um, you know, we'll see if at least anything. Obviously, hopefully, it doesn't. Um, but at the end of the day, a lot of football this, these days is just getting the ball into your best playmakers' hands in space, and returns are a phenomenal way to get them in that situation um, and, and in a chaotic way where it's it's really hard and this is why special teams can get so ugly. Sometimes it's really hard to scheme special teams and cover all your bases every time. It's just really chaotic, especially on kickoff. It's really hard to get guys to stay in their lanes and it, it opens up holes. And if you have a guy like Reed who can see that and feel it and get to it quickly, um, you know, like you said, you can flip the field or even more, you can score with it. So, um, definitely a different approach than D'Antonio had, um, ultra conservative, get the ball back and get it in your running backs hands, but I like it. And, and I think it'll pay dividends as the season wears on. Um, like I said, I think Reed will find the end zone on one of those this season.
1: Yeah. He's, I mean, going back with MSU, I, I went back to, I don't know, RJ Shelton was, was kind of a big play guy at times, obviously Keyshawn Martin, but yeah, it's, it is nice seeing a, a big play potential back there where you give your, your opposing special teams, the opposing team, something to think about. And going into to Miami, if for anybody who watched the broadcast, like these announcers were slobbering ev- drooling every time the Miami punter went out there, like he's, he's a really, really good punter. But damn, those announcers, it was like they were talking about Ray Guy himself back there, which was <laughs> unbelievable. But it it gives the opposing punter a little something to think about when when they're thinking about giving, um, giving it to a guy like Jaden Reed instead of punting it out of bounds or something like that. So um, I like the added threat back there. But special teams definitely looks better than it did last year, but still a couple hiccups, namely that block punt, which just can't happen against bigger when when you look at like kind of the statistical analytical stuff when you go into a game where it's it's a closer game it's against another big 10 opponent or something those type of plays they flip win probability by like 10 20% just because of okay this play should be a punt that should start the offense another 40 yards back from from where they are and then all of a sudden they block a punt and they're getting the ball on the 10 yard line going into score. And it just flips the game so quickly. So that stuff can't happen in big 10 games. Got to clean that up. But I'm sure that, uh, that the staff is going to have that stuff figured out, but yeah, great win. Um, anything else to, to note here before we get out of here and we'll be back obviously on Thursday to preview this Miami game. Like we said, hopefully we got some intel from from some Miami podcasters down there. Uh, We'll have Friday picks, as always. And make sure you check the website, standingroomspartans.com. We'll we'll have something up there this week. Not sure exactly what yet. But, uh, Scott, anything else before we get out of here and enjoy some NFL football here uh, this weekend?
0: Yeah, just really excited for this week. It's obviously one that we've had circled on the calendar all off season. It's going to be our best look at a non-conference opponent uh, giving us a run for our money here. And uh, I think preseason, most folks were picking us to lose this game. From what we've seen, it's going to be a closer line. We should be, I, I think we'll still be the underdog, um, but should be inside a touchdown, probably around a field goal if I had to put something on it. Do we have an open line yet? Um, uh, not that I'm seeing
1: well, while you're looking for it, I just saw this tweet notification come up from PFF college, most yards after contact this season by running backs. Number one, Kenneth Walker, Michigan state, 258 yards after contact already this season. Number two is the Chris Rodriguez running back from Kentucky with two Oh eight. So through two games, Kenneth Walker has 50 more yards after contact than anybody in the country things you'll love to see that
0: you love to see yeah i i mean he's just phenomenal i don't think they have a lineup for the game yet um sure that'll be out we'll we'll
1: post it on twitter um but yeah so really
0: really stoked for this week um i think it presents an awesome opportunity to to really put everyone on notice with a win this week and we'll get into it later in the week um, give you, like Kevin said, some things to watch out for, and, uh, we'll let you know kind of hopefully what, what Miami folks are a little worried about in, in playing us and yeah, another week, another week yeah, down, another win in the books two and zero.
1: Pretty much guaranteed a 10 and zero start to the season when you look at the schedule. So it's, it's good, <laughs> good day to be a Spartan.
0: <laughs> we'll end on that.
1: Yeah. That's that's a good place to get out of here. Uh, everybody hope you enjoyed a full weekend of football, college NFL, uh, everything's going on. The lions are probably going to get pasted today, but if you were down in Detroit for the game, hope you enjoyed it. If you were in East Lansing, uh, I really hope you enjoyed that. It it looked like an awesome atmosphere. We got to work on the intro. We got to work on the entrance for sure. (laughs) I looked a little sloppy on the TV broadcast, but I will be there for the next home game against Nebraska. That'll be my first game in East Lansing this season. Um, so hopefully we get the, uh, we get the player entrance figured out by then, but really looking forward to that. Uh, but yeah, uh, make sure you're subscribed to the show if you are not already, and we will be back with you on Thursday and Friday this week. So until then, hope you have a great start to your week. Go green, go white. Take care folks.